Good morning. You can be seated. You guys sound great this morning. Um, well, welcome to Bedrock. My name is Drew. Uh, excited to be here this morning. We're in the book of Joshua. We've started Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be going through the end of chapter 1 today. Um, if you are a first-time guest with us, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. I was thinking as we were there... Um, Man, if you have never been in church, uh, I could understand how you come in, and the first thing that we ask you to do is to sing out loud, to engage in a conversation with someone you don't know, and then to sit in silence, which all of which our culture is opposed to, and all of which are necessary and full of worship. And so I'm, like, I'm just glad that you're here. It's okay if you feel uncomfortable. It's okay if this is just going to take a little bit of time. That's all right. Um, you're in a good. You're in a good. You're a safe place. Um, well, we are. Um, we're going to continue with Joshua, and uh, also I was supposed to mention. I think we're going to have again the uh, the picnic is going to be indoors because one, it might rain. Two, it's hot, uh, and so we're excited to be inside. Uh, so uh, last week, if you missed the beginning of this, last week we. We just opened the book. We really, I said that we covered verses one through four. Technically, I think we only covered the first two verses. Um, we're going we're gonna to move a lot quicker today. Uh, but one of the things that we said is that we're moving, if, if you haven't been with us, the way that we teach is we preach one book of the Bible at a time. There's 66 books. Um, by the, the grace of God, we're going to make our way through all of them at some point. Um, but we made our way through Mark very slowly. And so Mark is a gospel, one of the four gospels. And we're now stepping out of Mark, which is um, the testimony of the arrival of Jesus, into an Old Testament book, which is something that anticipates the arrival of Christ. And so one of the things that we mentioned at the beginning, which um, is necessary and we'll probably mention a couple times throughout, uh, is that our goal here is not to shift our focus away from Christ, but our goal is to look at him from a different perspective. Uh, And so as we go into the Old Testament, uh, we see what, we, what Jesus himself has proclaimed, that Jesus is the center of the story. Jesus says in John 5 that um, he's actually talking to religious leaders, and he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. And he also talks about in the Gospel of Luke that everything must be fulfilled that was written about him and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. From beginning to end, this story is about Christ. So we're not shifting our focus away from him, um, but maybe through a better perspective, a different perspective, um, we're appreciating the scale of the story of Jesus from beginning to end. Um, so last week, we spent the majority of our time, if, I think the assignment that I left you with was, hey, read Joshua chapter 1. Um, and what, if you read Joshua chapter 1, you realize that Moses' name was mentioned 11 times throughout the first chapter. And so we spent the majority of our time talking about Moses. <laughs> uh, and rightfully so, because that's what chapter 1 is, a lot of it is about. And we saw that Moses was absolutely incredible. Uh, that he brought his people. God used Moses out of what, a man that was running away from him. God uses him and restores him and uses him to bring his people out of Egypt. They wander in the wilderness or the Mount Sinai. Eventually, Moses finds himself at the foot of the promised land. And we have the opening passage of Joshua 1, and it says, In Joshua 1, 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. And you're struck, and we talked about this last week, you're just struck with the legacy that Moses leaves, um, the incredible faithful life that he had, but yet the story was never about Moses. And so Moses dies, and God's encouragement to Joshua is not go back to Egypt. God's encouragement to Joshua is not um, it's time to mourn. God's encouragement to Joshua isn't we have no more hope. His encouragement is to get up and to go. And so the story continues because we sat in this truth last week. There is a bigger story that we are all a part of. This is not Moses' story. Um, this is not even Joshua's story. At the end of this, Joshua's going to live 110 years and he's going to die. And then God's going to raise up someone else as a leader and he's going to move him forward because this is not about Joshua either. And I think we just sat in, man, this story, and it's good for us as a church, as individuals to realize this, our story is not the center of this. There's a bigger and greater story that we are called to be a part of. Like Moses, God is calling us to be a part of this. And the question that we're asking and we're trying to do all along the way is the same thing that we see with Joshua is that we are learning to align with the God who gives promises and delivers on those promises from beginning to end. So how do we align our life with the greater story? Um, All right, let's, with a lot of recap, let's let's jump into our passage. Uh, Joshua chapter one, let's start in verse, uh, let's start in verse two. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I had promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Let me pray for us one last time this morning. Lord, what makes us a people is that we are your people. Lord, that on our own, we have individual stories that you care about, that you've created us, but the call is that you would call us to be a part of a greater story. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us today that greater story. Lord, show us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. Show us how you use your servant, Joshua. Show us how you use your people, but ultimately, show us yourself. Lord, would you show us who you are today in your word? Lord, would your spirit speak to us where we can know you and draw near to you in a way that is unique now because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the presence of your Holy Spirit? So, Lord, um, would your spirit teach us this morning? Your name, amen. All right, so I was stolen of an, uh, robbed of an opportunity last week where I got to talk a lot about Moses, but I didn't get to use maps and charts, so... Um, We are at the beginning of a book, so uh, we're going to look at a map. Uh, The questions that we first have to answer is, where are we? And the next question is, where are we going? So before we get to our points, where are we and where are we going? 
Um, there's a map of the journey that Israel has taken from Egypt. So this is literally, I just pulled up Google Earth um, and just zoomed in and tried to get a perspective of it. And so what you see here is Egypt is down here in the bottom left corner. They cross the Red Sea, which is now the Gulf of the Suez. They cross the Red Sea and they make their way. Now, if they would have gone directly to the Promised Land, I think they were about 14-day walk. But it took about 40 years. And the reason that it took 40 years is because of disobedience, right? And so they go from there and they kind of move around and they come to a village named Shittim. Now, at the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, you're going to see this is where they leave from. So this is where they are. They're on the other side. You see the Dead Sea there um, and you see the Sea of Galilee at the top. And it's connected by the Jordan River right there in the middle. And this is a very important River for the people of Israel, partly because of what the Lord is about to do. And so they now have to go from Shittim to Jericho. That is the beginning of the assignment. And so what you have is you have people that they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and they came all the way to the foot of the promised land and they turn away from the promised land. And because of this, after they sent in spies, do you remember this? They sent in 12 spies. Um, Moses sent in 12 spies. Joshua, Caleb were some of those spies. And, and they came back with a positive report, but 10 of them came back with a negative report, and it just led to chaos within the camp. And they, they decided ultimately that they weren't going to go into the promised land. And so this begins 40 years of just wandering in the wilderness. And these people eventually pass away, but Caleb and Joshua remain, and they now are here again at the foot of the Jordan. And what they've been promised and what they've been told, the instruction from Moses is to take the land. The instruction that Moses received with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, everything was leading towards them receiving this promised land. So when we think about the territory that we normally have, we usually think about this part right here along the Great Sea. But um, there's actually a greater territory that was promised. So the next map. Um, shows the actual promised land. Uh, and one of the things that you're going to realize is that the river Euphrates is all the way up there, which is modern-day Syria and Iraq. And then you have the promised land that comes all the way down here into Lebanon, which would have been the river Egypt. And you see down here with Gen in Genesis 15, 18, the original promise said, to your offspring I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So there was this big land. And most of the time when we talk about like the promised land, you're just familiar with Israel, that, that small strip on the corner. And now you're like, wait, why, why am I now just learning that this land was actually bigger? And what you're going to see is that from the beginning, the promise was actually greater, that there was this promised land that they were going to receive, that they were supposed to dwell in. Remember, this is two million plus people. We're going to talk about one of the tribes, actually two of the tribes, and they're going to have about 40,000 valiant men is the way they're described. These are large people groups. I mean, all connected together. And it's supposed to be this one massive place where God's people were going to dwell. And the picture was that God would rest then with his people. That is where he would be. And they would be his people. And God would be their God. But what we see is that, and what we're going to see at the end is that while that plant, that that land is ultimately given to them. They fail to ultimately take it all together. And so we never realize fully, because of the disobedience of the people, this full promised land. But there was a greater promise that was given to them. 
So as we go through the book, we're going to see just a couple, just as we understand, we're going to see a couple different um, just movements. So you know how books have chapters and like authors have a reason and the, that they write it the way that they do. So um, this book begins with chapter one through four, where we're going to talk about entering the land. Chapter five through 12 is going to be conquering the land. Chapter 13 through 21 is going to be settling in the land, and they're going to be distributing the land amongst the different tribes. And chapter 22 through 24 is going to be retaining the land. The instruction, final instruction from Joshua, as right as he, as he passes away, he gives this final instruction about how they're supposed to live and, and remain in the land. So let's continue reading. Verse 5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you might have, that you might have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Um, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the first thing that we're going to see, our first point, is that we will find what we need in the presence of the Lord. We will find what we need in the presence of the Lord. Um, you know what your children need to hear. So I've got three kids. Um, my oldest is eight. I was just telling Alex, by the end of the year, I will have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. And that feels like a lot. Um, but my oldest is eight, and she is, they're all creative, but she's been gifted, endowed with an extra measure of creativity. And so I am, um, I'm working on the bathroom upstairs, which means I'm using a miter saw. There's a lot of cutting involved. There's just like, I'm doing a lot. And so as every man should, he accumulates this pile of wood, right? And so I have this pile of wood that sits in the corner of this unfinished bathroom and my daughter comes in and she says, Daddy, can I use, can I paint one of these pieces of wood? And I'm like, sure, no problem, take it. And so she takes it and she just works on it for hours. And then she comes back and she's like, look at this, you know? And she's got, she's just painted the whole thing, you know? And then she decides, not only do I need to paint this piece of wood, can I have another one? Sure, no problem. Um, and so she begins to just take it. Now, every shim that I have in the places, my stud wall is going to be the most colorful stud wall that has ever been. She has painted every piece of wood. I think my neighbor Rob received a piece of wood that was painted by her. Um, and for her, everything, you know what your children need to hear. So for me to take a piece of wood like that, that she had painted and to come to her and say, this is, this is beautiful. Um, it would like, she just lights up, you know? She hears that and she's just like, she wants to go do it again and again and again. Now, my son, who's three years old, if he were to do something and I were to say, man, this thing's beautiful, I don't even know if I would get his attention, you know? I think he just moves, moves forward. But for, for my daughter, this is exactly what she needs to hear. And what we see here with Joshua is the Lord give, tells him four times here and once through Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous. These are the words that I have for you. 
Be strong and courageous. At one point, he says, be very strong and courageous. And the question is, why does Joshua need to hear this? Like, why Joshua and why this? Um, what you learn about Joshua is that he was, um, he was Moses' assistant. So everywhere that Moses went, Joshua was right behind him. Moses goes into the tent, Joshua's outside the tent. Moses goes up on the mountain, Joshua's down at the bottom of the mountain. Moses has something to say to the people, Joshua's right next to him. Moses, it was incredibly faithful just as a servant. Even, there's even a scene where Aaron, and they're holding up the hands of Moses, and Joshua is actually the one that is fighting with the sword in the battlefield. Joshua carries this incredible courage already. Like, if you were to see Joshua, he is a warrior. I wouldn't look at the story of Joshua and say, this is a person that struggles with insecurity. I would look at the person of Joshua and say, this is a person that's a warrior. This is a leader. This is a natural-born leader. He's led already. This is why Moses is already... This is probably one of the reasons that Moses pulled him next and said, you are going to follow me. Joshua doesn't need these words because of where he has been. Joshua needs these words because of where he is going. Joshua is filling massive shoes here, like the shoes of Moses, the leader that God had put over his people. But he's doing it and now entering into what I know that we've grown. You may have grown. If you've never heard this story, then, man, this is going to be this thing. Again, we said last week, plays out like Lord of the Rings. It's exciting. But um, if, if, this is, if you've heard this many times, we may have grown accustomed to hearing it. Um, Joshua and Israel are truly up against impossible odds. Like the city that they have to go through in Jericho is unmatched. The kings that align together and form alliances so that they could come against God's people is unreal. Like the odds that Joshua has here, just in human terms, are not great. It's going to take incredible courage. Um, and I think one of the things that you realize is that while Joshua is confident, um, and while Joshua has been a warrior and is a warrior, um, it doesn't take it doesn't take much in our it's our human nature to default to fear. Like it doesn't take much for us to go from a place where we're extremely confident to a place where we're overwhelmed with fear. And if you remember the story, like remember the story, the reason that they have been wandering for forty years and that Joshua's like the other people that he knew is not now with him is because they turned away in fear. And so now Joshua's again at the foot of the Jordan River and he's saying, be strong, be courageous, do not be fearful. I've promised you this. These people are in your hands. This land is yours. Take this land. I think in my life, I think you can have these moments where you are just like, you wake up and you're just like, God is good. He's gracious. He's given peace. He is... Um, just generous. Uh, and your courage and your strength can be unmatched. And then you, like, get cut off on, like, I-95, you know? And not that that's the problem, but it doesn't help. Um, and there's part of you that just, and you just, and something else floods your mind. And whether it's things that, tasks that haven't been finished, or whether it's anxiety that's been just sitting there, whether it's there's something, there's things that just flood into your heart, into your mind, and very quickly you can go from a place, not in like hours and minutes, where you can go from a place where you're just like dwelling like with the Lord, reading his word, 
like grateful for who he is to immediately just being overcome with fear and anxiety. And it can happen in a moment. And so for the Lord to, stay, to say to Joshua, be strong and courageous is absolutely what he needs. But he doesn't just leave him there. Um, listen, listen to what he says. Um, says Joshua 1.9 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And again in verse 9, he says, Have I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um, this may be the most important thing that we say today, that what the source for Joshua's strength and courage is the presence of the Lord. That the thing that makes Joshua who he is, as we watch him through this story, uh, is not that he was given the ability to wield a sword or he is naturally more courageous than the man next to him. The thing that makes him who he is is that he is in the presence of the Lord. And this is not a promise, and the good news about this, and we're going to talk about, remember we said in the very beginning, this whole story is about Jesus. Like, this is not a promise that's just given to Joshua. This is a promise that David sings about in Psalms. In Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Listen to this. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what that means? It means a table is a place of blessing and provision. A table is a place that you see in the comfort of your own home. But he says, this is a place where even in the presence of your enemies, where the circumstances surrounding you, and there seems like there is war and conflict pressing in around you, because I am with you, there is a peace and a blessing that you can have because you are mine and I'm with you. That is what David is realizing right here. It's the same thing that God speaks through Isaiah 41.10. says, so, so do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The same thing that Jesus says in John 14. Jesus answers, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and will come to him and we will make our home with him. And then he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God's giving his very presence. I think something that may even be helpful for us today is you're like, all right, so how does this presence actually work itself out in my life? Um, the author of Hebrews, when he thinks about living a holy life, listen to how he says you are to live a holy life. Hebrews 13, five through six says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How does the presence of the Lord actually enable us to live a life that is marked by holiness and set apart by him. It says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The promise that God is with us 
has never been closer than it is today. I think the story of Joshua plays out. And remember, we said it's not about Joshua. God raises up another leader. And Israel, it's not even about Israel and the individual tribes because there's just chaos that honestly comes. And you're disappointed at the end because the promised land isn't fully received. But you get to this point where you get to the end of the Old Testament and you're just like waiting for someone that is going to completely and finally restore things the way they should be. And Jesus enters in on the scene and he comes and he brings this peace. He brings for us what you've been anticipating throughout the whole story which is that he draws near to us. And he makes a way for us to draw near to the Father through the cross and the death and the resurrection that we can enter in and be in the presence of the Lord and that his spirit is with us. So how do you draw strength and courage from his presence? Um, I love that God gets very practical with Joshua here. Um, he says, the instruction that he gives, he says, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Um, God hasn't just given us his presence. He's given us his very words. So Joshua has... At this point, the five books that Moses has written, um, and now we have 66. The idea that God has been fully revealed from the beginning of Scripture to, end, to the end, um, and he's given us this word, but he hasn't just given it to us so that we would know it in our minds, but he actually says, um, meditate on it day and night, so that this would be something that you would you would actually, you would say, you actually said that it would be in, the, on, on, in your mouth, that you would say this over and over and over again, that there would be, there would be a, a space that you enter into, that you are just sitting with the words of the Lord so that it would shape you in a way, um, not that just like a list of rules would shape you, but it would begin to actually form you. And so he goes from here and he says, not that you would just know them in your mind so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Um, so the goal of understanding the word of God is that you would do, live, act, obey, that you would be transformed by it. Um, it's obedience. Uh, Spurgeon, when um, referring to this passage, says obedience is the highest courage. Uh, so you talk about Joshua and all the courage, courageous moments that he's going to have all throughout the book, there's nothing more courageous that he does than obey the Lord in everything that he does. Um, so as I was listening to a podcast, Rebuilders podcast, uh, it's the only one I listen to, you're probably familiar with it by this point. Um, uh, Mark Sayers, at one point, he says, as the Western church, we are uh, educated way beyond our level of obedience. Um, and I think um, it doesn't mean that we need to stop educating ourselves, but I think it does change the goal of the way that we approach our education. When we come to the word, um, the goal of this word, it can't be that we would just retain knowledge, but the goal of this would, that would be that we would be transformed by it. So in order to do that, you need to be willing to put yourself in a place and a posture to, to be shaped. So this means that um, 
This means that you can come to church your whole life. This means that you can come and sit in this space over and over and over again. I don't know your story. I don't know how long you've been in church. I don't know if this is your first Sunday, but um, you can come every single Sunday. You can go from here and have a discipleship group where you can sit down with someone and you can read the word together. You can go to your city groups where you can talk about how we're going to live like Christ together. But if all of that, we are so good at suppressing who we really are and not truly exposing um, ourselves so that we can be transformed. And so you can do all that over and over and over and over again and never change. We, we have the capability to do that. Actually, it's almost our inclination that we would just sit and we would learn and learn and learn, but never actually be shaped by it, that there would never actually be a response to it. And so what you see here with Joshua is God is calling him into doing, but he's not calling him to just do. He's saying, first, you need to be with me. When you are with me and when you are in my word and you understand this, you are going to be shaped and it's going to change the things that you do. Because Joshua, there's battles coming. Like, this is just something that I thought, I was like, sometimes, um, man, we go through, when when we encounter difficult things, but Joshua is going to encounter a lot of difficult things, but when we encounter difficult things in our lives, the first thing that we question is the road that we're on. We're like, man, I feel like I just need more direction. And you come to, and you talk to your friends about how I need more direction. I feel like I, the Lord needs to be, there needs to be something different. And I'm not saying that there's not times where you need a different direction and that God's not leading you somewhere. But I am saying that God's given you all the information that you need. And what you may need is more obedience and presence. Because it's out of obedience and presence that you're actually going to begin to conquer fear and anxiety. Like, Joshua is going to have plenty of opportunity to look at the road and say, this is the wrong road. That looks difficult. But I think it's the presence of the Lord with him. I think it's understanding who God is in his word that begins to transform him. And what Joshua learns is that this was never going to be a journey that he was going to do for God, but with him. Like, Joshua is going to be shaped by this. And for Joshua, that's what God has for him. God can do this. Like, as much as Joshua is incredible, God doesn't need Joshua to fulfill his plan. God can do this, but God is using Joshua, and he's inviting him into the greater story. And so how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you sit in the presence of the Lord? Um, I think as Joshua looks at Moses, like if... If you look at the story of Moses, those, the Torah, the first five books, are memorized and quoted by, uh, in Jewish education just over and over and over again. And you look at the story of Moses, and you're like, man, there's a, there is a lot of lists, and there's a lot of things. There's the Ten Commandments. There's 52 other commandments. There's instructions about the tabernacle, but there's a, there's a lot of other things. But what you realize is that what changes the message of the Torah with Moses is that Moses, by the end, desired more than anything to be in the presence of the Lord. That was the change that happened. That it was not a list of do this and don't do this. It was ultimately something that transformed who he was. So how does that transformation, what does that look like? Um, I'll take you back to David. So David and Psalm 1, that's how he opened. Said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. One of the things that you realize about a tree is that a tree does not grow by striving. It doesn't. Now, you could, you could cut a tree down and you could look at the stump and you could see the different rings and see the difficult seasons that it went through, but the reason that a tree grows is because it draws its nutrients from the source. That is what the picture you're given here is that there is this tree that is planted next to a stream. It's a good source. It's planted next to the stream, and because it's next to this stream, it doesn't strive to grow. It grows out of its proximity to the stream. It's right next to it. It's drawing water from the source, and because it draws its water from the source, it endures. Not only does it endure, it bears fruit. It bears fruit in season, out of season. It's all of its, it doesn't even wither. There's something that, uh, that the tree has that allows it to endure past the circumstances that are around it. There is a life that is available to you through the source of Christ and his word that is greater than anything that you'll find in this world. I think um, one of the things that I want us to see as we go through the book of Joshua is that the Christian life, oftentimes, um, if we're not careful, it can be marked by just striving and trying to achieve. Um, it can be marked by a Western version of Christianity that is built on um, achieving things. And I'm not saying that we are not given instructions to go and to conquer. So is Joshua. But I'm saying that what Joshua learns is that it's more, it's less about achieving and it's more about aligning. Does your life look like the life of Jesus Christ? Does your life, are you being shaped by him? Do you look like him? Is your life aligning with the God who's delivering on his promises? So um, the question isn't just what are you doing, um, but what does what you are doing tell me about what you are becoming? Because oftentimes we just get fixated on having to do the right things. And I think the Lord's more concerned about who you are becoming. Um, second thing that we see, um, and this one will be quick, but uh, the second thing that we see is that we must fight this battle together. So the first thing um, was that we find what we need in the presence of the Lord. So if the Lord is absolutely necessary for this battle, the second thing that we see is that we must fight this battle together. So let's start in verse 10. It says, And Joshua commanded the officers. So now Joshua, receiving that word and encouragement from the Lord, receiving direction, do not go from the right or to the left. Make sure that you, um, every word that Moses has given, everything that you have received in this word, make sure that you do it. Meditate on it. And now at this point, he says, okay, now, now go. And Joshua immediately begins to lead. Does a great job. He casts vision. So Joshua Verse 10, commanded the officers of the people. Not only is he leading, but he's delegating, right? So he looks at his officers and he's like, okay, this is your job. And this is a good sign because now you see the people immediately begin to respond to the leadership of Joshua. It says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. 
For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. I know that we've talked a lot about the land, but when the people hear the people of God going and proclaiming that to to Israel, going throughout the camp and saying, prepare, it's coming. Three days, prepare provisions. You think back to Egypt when God prepared his people for exit. Like this is, again, they're going to cross a body of water. God is doing something again within his people. Verse 12 says, In the Reubenites, the Gadites, in the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place to rest, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before you, brothers, um, uh, before your brothers, and shall help them. Until the Lord gives you rest to your brothers, and he has to you, as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you. And he was as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So Joshua is casting this vision. But I think if you, <clears throat> if you read closely, there's a couple things happening here. First, Joshua, like we said, is delegating, and that's good, and the people are responding to that. But if you look in verse 12, it says, The Rubite... Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said. So Joshua sends some people to go and, and to talk to all of Israel. But for these two and a half tribes, Joshua goes himself. Why does Joshua go himself? Um, because uh, in Numbers, there was an agreement between Moses. These tribes, this is, we are going to learn about, a lot about just the history you know, like family history, you know, like you have those conversations and you're just like, oh, I didn't realize that happened at one point. Um, yeah, this is for these two and a half tribes at some point, they went to Moses and said, when we go to the promised land, we would like to be on the east side of the Jordan River. Of course, Moses is frustrated by this. He's like, that's extremely unfaithful. What are you talking about? Come and fight with us. Uh, and there was an agreement between them. Okay, I, we will, I will give you this land, but you need to come and fight. Now Moses is gone. And Joshua is going back to these two and a half tribes, and he's like, yo, today's the day. <laughs> you said, we're going across, three days, we're going across, and you're waiting to see. Joshua's like, I'm not going to send someone to talk to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. I'm going myself, because they need to hear it from me. You are coming with us. And they respond like this. They say, not only, yeah, we are, we are coming um, whatever you command, and they repeat back to Joshua what God has already been saying to him. One, God is with you. We are following you. And from Joshua's, Joshua needs to hear this from his people. Be strong and courageous. Right? There's this moment where they look at Joshua and say, be strong and courageous. Now, I think it would have been, I think I got another map. Do I have another map up here? Yep, there it is. Um, all right, so when everything's settled, this is the end of the the end of Joshua, you're going to see where they are. So you've got Reuben, Gad, East Manasseh, West Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan. Um, and so the temptation for them would have been to just remain there and been like, this is kind of your battle. 
um, we're here. I mean, we got here, right? And everyone, well, there's a lot of work to be done. And so I think one of the things that you, not that you want to draw everything, you want to look, sometimes I think you need to be careful about how much you draw. But what I do see here uh, is that it is important um, that while it is not their land, it is their battle. Like this, this is their battle. They were called to fight together. They're going to end up being on this side of the Jordan, but they're crossing with them because the battle's on that side and they are a part of those people. And so I think for us, um, it's helpful for us. Uh, and I, uh, I think it was, it's also helpful to have Nick Williams here. Nick, um, can you raise your hand? Right over there. There's Nick. Nick is a pastor at Three Circle Church who's been supporting us for some time now. Um, and not only us, and I think that's one of the things that I appreciate so much is that there were churches before us and there's going to be churches after us that they've been supporting the work in Philadelphia for some time. And um, it's encouraging to have someone from a distance say, that may not be our land, but it is our battle. Um, and to say, we are coming to enter into this with you. And they're a part of work in Jersey, right? In, in Jersey and with Buff, and, but we are a part of that. And so it's encouraging to have someone here to say, we're here to fight this battle with you. You know, as you come into a, a land that, honestly, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, it's important that we recognize that this is a battle that has to be fought together. And so even for us, I think even within us, and this is the way that we see the rest of Philadelphia, Philadelphia is large. And there are so many different neighborhoods. And there are churches all over this city. And one of the things that you're going to hear from us over and over and over again is that this battle is way too large for us to just claim our little portion and to not claim the whole city together. Like there has to be for us a bigger vision that we are a part of a people. And there is darkness that needs to be pushed back all throughout the city. And if we're going to do that, we are just one tribe. Maybe not even 12 sounds. We're smaller than that. We are just one small portion of this, but we are a portion that's meant to be a part of something bigger. And so you go and you enter into the battle together. And I think, man, you see this in this passage and you see them look back at Joshua and give this encouraging word where they say, man, be strong and courageous. Um, if we are going to do this, we need to do it together. That, that means we need support from partner churches. That means that we need support we need to support within the city and I think that also means that within our own interpersonal lives um, it's easy to just stay in your lane like it's really easy to just be like I'm doing all right um, and to focus on your job to focus on the people that you have close relationships with but I think what this shows us is that it's being a part of a people um, is caring about your neighbor's battle it's caring about your brother's battle. It's caring about your sister's battle and taking it on as your own. And so when you have someone that comes especially within your church, that comes alongside you, and you can see that they're fighting a battle that you don't leave them on their own and say, my land's here. You know, but that there would be some part of you that says, no, I am a part of this. We are a body together. If one is not well, we are not well. We need to fight together. And there's always going to be people that are not well. There's always going to be people that are going to be fighting with things. So we're always going to have the necessity to be together. Like there is a unity that is necessary for the battle ahead. So I think the last thing that you see is 
I'll, I'll just say this, and it's almost like hard for me to, to say. As, but as a leader, and I think I could say this just because I see it not just in, in our church, in my life, um, but in the lives of the church in general um, and the people of God, it is, I think I read that, that last passage where they look back at Joshua and say, be strong and courageous, I read that differently now than I ever have. Um, it is necessary for your people to encourage and um, support and come alongside your leaders. It just is. Not for the sake of the leader, not so that you can put someone on a pedestal, but because for the health of the church, for the health of the people, it's just necessary. It's important to come alongside, not just me and Brian, but leaders within the church and leaders within your job and leaders within, we are always going to have leaders. You may, sometimes you're the leader, sometimes you're being led. I think this is a moment where you can look at this and be like, it is necessary for us to support, encourage, and push forward those that God has put in those positions. We see Joshua need this. Now, by the end of chapter one, Joshua has been told to be strong and courageous by Moses in Deuteronomy, by the Lord here, and by his people. And they're moving it forward into a place that is, um, has a lot. There's going to be a lot that's going to happen. Um, so, in conclusion, um, just some things I want you guys to think about. I would encourage you, if you wanted to reread Joshua chapter one, reread it. Um, next, we're going to be going into Joshua chapter two and the story of Rahab, uh, which is awesome. Um, God redeems everyone, and it's pretty beautiful. But for today, um, consider for yourself, uh, how, where are you drawing your strength and courage? Are you drawing strength and courage from the circumstances of your day? And you feel like yourself, I've heard it put like, man, there's a roller coaster. I'm up, I'm down. I'm up, I'm down. And every part of you wants to just say, get off the roller coaster. Let me give you the ticket off. It's draw near to the presence of the Lord, and you will find a stability um, that isn't available anywhere else. So draw near. Where is your strength and courage coming from? And the second thing that I wanted to ask is, are you fighting your battles with others? Don't fight alone. You're called to engage. You're called to engage in someone else's battle. You're called to allow people and call people to engage together. That's what makes us a people. Um, as Aaron comes up, let me, uh, let me pray for us real quick, and we'll, we'll finish with, uh, with some worship. Lord, um, thank you for your servant, Joshua. Lord, we're going to see his weaknesses. We're going to see some poor decisions along the way. Um, Lord, but you are gracious, and from the beginning, uh, you have encouraged him to be strong and courageous. And so, Lord, I think, um, Lord, we're grateful that that strength and that courage comes from him being in your presence and for us today, we draw our strength and our courage from the same source. That we can, like a tree planted next to the water, Lord, that we can draw nutrients from the source and that that will provide for us um, fruit in its season, stability. Lord, I pray for anyone right now that um, lacks strength. Feels like they lack courage. an accurate description, maybe just empty and tired. 
and you think this courageous moment by Joshua just feels so far from me. Um, But as you do, from the beginning of time, Lord, would you draw near to that person right now? Lord, would your spirit speak truth and comfort over them? Would they be reminded that life doesn't consist of just striving and achieving, but life, you're invited into rest with you. We're invited into just being with you and knowing you. I pray that we would all find ourselves there and that would bring out in us um, or real life and fruit. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your people and your spirit. In your name, amen. Thank you.